Two summers ago, I had the opportunity to go coho or silver salmon fishing in Alaska. It was awesome. We went on the banks of the Russian River where the Russian intersects with the Kenai. That section is called the Sanctuary and it's incredible. It's beautiful. The water is flowing strong. The water is cold and the surrounding location, it's one of the most beautiful places on earth that I've ever been. The thing about this though is during fishing season, they call it combat fishing there and here's why. There's people from all over the world that come and stand about 10 feet off the, the shore in the water and about three feet of water and you stand within just a couple feet of each other. And you can see as far as the eye can see either way there are men and women that are fishing for salmon. And the, and the motion is this. You cast out about 15 feet and the water takes the fly down to right here and you yank it back and if you have a fish, awesome, and if not you cast back. And you do this motion for hours. And this trip, I was there for three days and I had caught one fish the first day. And it was my third day. We had an hour or two left before we were leaving and it was like, okay, I really want to catch some fish. So about that time, an older gentleman comes walking up behind me. And again, we're just packed in there like sardines. But he comes walking up and he says, you mind if I fish in this spot right next to you? I'll be honest with you. I was frustrated. It was like, oh man, we're, we're packed in here. And this is an older guy. And he's going to be unstable on his feet. Oh man, I don't know. But I had a smile and I said, sure. And we kind of scooted around and fit him in. And pretty soon... He got his fishing pole out, but before he did, he pulled out a cigarette and he started smoking and the smoke went right into my face. And I tell you what, I just like, ugh, my idyllic moment. And I've got this guy fishing next to me and I'm frustrated. I've got smoke in my face, but here we go. So both of us, we started back in and all of us are fishing and you have to do it in sync so the line doesn't get tangled up. And we're fishing at about 15 minutes in and you know, nobody's catching fish. As far as you can see, nobody's catching fish. But 15 minutes later, boom, that guy had a fish. Now the, the thing that you do, etiquette says, the person downspring, downstream goes and gets the net. And as that person is working the fish to the shore, you are ready to net it and bring it in. And so I did that. I went and got the net and I, about five minutes of him working the fish and finally got it to the point where I could put the net underneath the fish, catch the fish and bring it to shore. And I brought it to him and we started talking as he was working the hook out of its mouth. I found out his name was Al, Al from Indiana. And I said, Al, what brings you to Alaska? besides fishing. And he said, well, my daughter is a professor at the University of Alaska Anchorage, and I come here every year to see her and I go fishing. And he said, and I've been fishing in this spot right here for 35 years. I thought, wait, whoops, just a minute. You know what? I was wrong. This isn't my spot. I'm fishing in his spot. Okay. So he put, he secures the fish. We go back and we start fishing again. And again, nobody's catching any fish. 10 minutes later, boom, Al has a fish on. I go get the net, we do the same thing, I bring it to shore, and I start talking to him a little bit more. And this is what I realize. 
the person that I was frustrated with, that I was kind of upset with standing next to me, actually, he was a master fisherman. I was standing next to somebody that knew what he was doing. So as I got the fish, the hook out of its mouth, secured the fish, and we went back at it one more time, I said this, I'm, I'm not gonna focus on fishing. What I'm gonna focus on is Al. I'm gonna focus on what he does and doesn't do as he is casting his line and going after fish. 15 minutes later, Al, another fish. I go get the net, the same routine, and again, nobody else is catching fish, but Al has just caught three within an hour. Amazing, and I bring, I, I, get, I scoop up the fish, I bring it to him, and he pulls the hook out, and he has these three beautiful coho salmon. And he looks at me and he says, you know, I just really appreciate you helping me land these fish. And then he says, I wish I could have done the same for you. I, I thought, yeah, me too. I would have loved that. That would have been awesome. I said goodbye to Al. And then I thought, I've got an hour left before we're leaving, heading back. I am going to fish differently. I'm going to fish like Al for the next hour. Here's what I learned from Al. I learned that when I cast and let it drift down for a couple seconds, what I was doing was letting it drift to here, but Al brought it to here, half a second less. The second thing I learned from him is when he pulled that, the, 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 the line back, he pulled it with strength and with determination and it was at that moment that you catch the fish. The third thing I learned from Al was if you don't catch a fish right then, it doesn't matter if the, the line goes down further, that's wasted time. Get it out and cast it again and go. And so I did those three things for the next hour. You know, within 15 minutes, boom, I had a fish. And somebody helped me bring it in. 20 minutes later, boom, I had a fish. Somebody helped me bring it in. 20 minutes later, boom, I had another fish. And somebody brought it to me. That day I learned a great deal. I learned a great deal from Al, an older gentleman from Indiana. I learned a ton that has changed my life in terms of fishing. If I, when I go back to Alaska, I will always fish like Al in the future. So as we're working our way through 1 John, the question is this, what can we learn today from an old man named John? This guy that lived in the first century and who is at the end of his life and he sits down and writes to other followers of Jesus then and now. This book has been written to those people then and to us now. What can we learn from this old man who was one of Jesus' closest friends, if not his closest friend? What can, what can we learn from John who saw Jesus raise people from the dead, heal the sick, feed the thousands, walk on water? What can we learn from this man, John, who saw Jesus claim to fulfill prophecy and claim to be God? What can we learn from John who was with Jesus in the upper room at the Passover at the initiation of the first Lord's Supper? where Jesus washed the disciples' feet and said to them, I want you to love each other. 
What can we learn from this person who 60 years after Jesus left this earth, he's sitting down to write and to write because he cares about people's experience. But also this is the context that he's writing to. He was writing to believers who were struggling to believe. It had been three generations that Jesus had been here. And Jesus wasn't an up close and personal. He was a story that had been told and passed down. People were struggling to believe. People were tempted to complacency. That's my parents' story. That's my grandparents' story. And we can become complacent because it's just old hat. And they were also surrounded by false teachers who wanted to change the story. John, when he's writing this, is an old man, but he has something to say, just like Al had something to say to me about fishing. I'm sure if we could sit there with John when he was writing, it was so fresh to him 60 years later. This is what's fresh. I'm sure he could say, I remember when Jesus said, get the rest of the guys and meet me on the mountain. I have something to say. At that point, it's what we call the Great Commission. Jesus telling those disciples this. Well, I'm going away. I'm going to the Father. And now it's your turn to represent me. The baton is yours. Your chance to run with it. And Jesus handed the baton to the disciples. And the idea is this, that the disciples were to hand it to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. And just like I'm holding this baton right now, it's been handed to us in 2020. And it's our turn to run, to be missional, to be on mission for Jesus. And John is saying, so run in this race and run well. And then he's saying this, Jesus said, and the best news the best news, I'm sending the Holy Spirit to enable you to do this, to live this life on mission that you can't do without him. So if we could sit down with John when he was writing this, this is what I think John was pondering for us today. Three things. We are commissioned to live spiritually powerful lives, kingdom of God kind of lives today. That's the kind of life we're called to live. The second thing is we are called to live dangerous lives in relation to the realm of Satan. Lives that shine in a dark and dangerous world. That's our job. And to live lives as a beacon of truth, of strength and meaning for all to see. That's the commission that we were given. That's how we're supposed to live our lives. That's where we're being invited into. And that's what John is saying. Our passage this morning is 1 John chapter 3, verse 18 through 24. And I'm going to read it twice. First, I'm going to read it in the New American Standard Version. And then I'm going to read it in the message. Because I think it just does a good job of helping to explain it. So here we go. Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know this by that. We are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him 
because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment that we believe in the name of the Son of Jesus Christ and love one another. Just as he commanded us, the one who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. I'm going to read it again in the message. My dear children, let's not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're really living, truly. Living in God's reality, it's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism, even when there is something to it. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God doing what, he, what pleases him. Again, this is God's command to believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other in line with the original command. As we keep his commands, we live deeply and surely in him. And he lives in us, and this is how we experience his deep and abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us. Pastor Steve, a couple weeks ago challenged us to read First John a few times. And I did that. And here's what I got. I got this impression as I was reading the book of First John. John is like a coach. He's calling us to be all that we are meant to be. Now, I've been around several coaches in my life, either personally or because of my kids' involvement. My kids have had voice coaches, dance coaches, football coaches, track coaches, basketball, soccer, softball. You know, and the good coach is the one that, is help, that helps people dream of what could be. And then to do the work and to do what is needed to succeed. So like a coach, John, I think, uses strong phrases. Now let me give you an example. Like Chip Kelly, what does he say? Win the day. We all know that. A short one-liner. It feels like he's saying, don't forget. You can do this, keep at it, work hard, and don't miss out. There is so much at stake. So let me go back to the passage, the message, and on the slide, it just, I, I've highlighted four one-liners that John is saying. So let me look at those. First, let's practice real love. That's the first one. The second one is this. We're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves. We're bold and free. The third one, believe in his personally made son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love each other. And the last one, abiding presence in us by the spirit he gave us. So let me just shrink those down. It's here on the screen. Let's practice real love. We're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves. We're bold and free. Believe in his personally named son, Jesus Christ. He told us to love one another and the abiding presence of his spirit that he gave us. So my big idea is this. Believing in Jesus and loving one another brings joy to the heart of God and kingdom impact to the world here and now. So I have four things. My first one is this. Apple trees produce apples. 
when Kathy and I purchased our home here in Eugene a couple years ago, it was November when we were doing that. I remember walking in the backyard and lots of trees, and I remember thinking, that's an oak tree, and that's a pine tree, and that's a dead tree. But a lot of trees, I didn't know what they were. I knew there were some, probably some fruit trees, but I had no idea. But you know when I found out what they were? It was last year this in spring. And here's how I knew. The apple trees started to grow apples. The pear trees were producing pears. The cherry tree was producing cherries. That is the proof of life, the proof of what the trees were. It is the fruit that they were producing. So, our first point. 1 John 3.18, little children, do not love with word or tongue. Don't just do that, but in deed and in truth. Apple trees produce apples. Pear trees produce pears. Cherries produce cherries. John, this old man, this coach, he is saying, and to learn this, true followers of Jesus produce fruit, spiritual fruit. They love in deed and truth, and they practice real love. A couple years ago, I was in Portland, actually, for some meetings with some coworkers. And after the meetings, I went to Clackamas on the way home, and I stopped at Subway to get some lunch. And I was in line, it was a long line. And up in front of me, I noticed this older couple. They were sharp. And I remember they walked to the counter, and I heard the guy say to the person at the, at the check register, he said, hey, it's our 65th wedding anniversary today, and we love Subway, and we're here to celebrate. I remember thinking to myself, right then, the Spirit of God said, Steve, go ask if you can buy their lunch and help them celebrate. I was standing in line a few people back, and I thought, I, I don't want to embarrass them. Well, I don't want to embarrass me. Uh, maybe it's not appropriate. You know, they didn't need me to do it, but I'll tell you what, the Spirit of God said, do it. And you know what happened? I hesitated. They paid, they went, and they sat down, and they had lunch, and I missed the opportunity to do good. I, I, who knows what a blessing the Lord had in store for me, or for them, or for somebody else. What would have happened? Maybe they would have said no. Maybe they would have said okay. Maybe I could have said something about Jesus to them. Or maybe they already knew the Lord and we could have had a rich conversation about him. Maybe they would have been blessed, who knows, but I hesitated, but I knew I was supposed to do it. I heard the Lord say, do this. And I'll tell you what, I missed something that God had in store for me and I regret it to this day. John said this, our coach, that old man, love, indeed, and truth. In the message it said this, let's practice real love. I missed it that day. And John is saying, don't miss it. So here at the church, what are some examples of this that I think you guys are doing a phenomenal job? The backpacks that we're raising money for right now. Think about that with one hope. 25 backpacks for 25 kids where you can have an opportunity to impact their lives. Real love. I think about the give effort that we do in November. 
for all the different things that happen at the end of the year, all the different agencies that we give gifts to, and all the different men and women and kids that are touched because of that. You guys are amazing. Great. Well done. I think of Meaningful Meals, that ministry. I've been ministered to it by them. I know you have. I'm sure you have. And so many people have been ministered to them, to you by them. I think of the Hurleys and the Madsons as they care for the food pantry here at Grace. They do a great job. And other people, thank you for that. This is a generous church. The Benevolent Fund is strong today. The food pantry is well stocked. Both are being used a really good amount. Thank you for following the Lord. I think of all the behind the scenes things that so many of you are doing, it's impressive. The list is long. But here's the question. Is the Lord prompting you today? We can't live off yesterday's obedience. What about today? Is the Lord prompting you today? Is there an act of kindness that the Lord is prompting you today to go after? Is there a word of blessing that the Lord is prompting you to say? Is there an act of service He is tapping you on the shoulder to complete? Is there a tangible gift or offering He is asking you to give? John, this old man, this coach, He is saying, go for it. Don't miss the moment. Be the hands and feet of Jesus today in 2020, here and now. So here's the second thing. When Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of his future, and remind yourself of your future. Scripture says this, 1 John 3, 19-22. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments and do the things that are pleasing in His sight. Now, I don't know about you, but I've read that a number of times and it, it was confusing for a long time. What, what is it trying to say? So just as Jesus calls us to be the hands and feet today in this world that needs his touch so much, here's the other reality. Satan is out to derail you. Followers of Jesus, he's out to derail you. To cause you to swerve away from representing God, representing Christ to this world, to render you ineffective or to dull your impact uh, dull the impact of your life, to take you out of the game in terms of kingdom impact here and now. Here's what Satan does. He whispers in our ear, remember when you did whatever. Let me give you some examples. Remember the fact that you got divorced? Or in college you slept around? Or you've gone down the road of addiction? Your, your thoughts we all have to deal with that. Whatever. Satan sits there and whispers. Remember? He says this. He tries to get you to think this. You're not fit for service for Jesus. But that is a lie that he is tempting us with. Romans 8.1 says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, as I was reading that passage again and again, I was trying to understand, 
I, I found a statement that Dietrich Bonhoeffer said about these two verses, and I think for me, it really helps clarify it. So let me read these. He or she, the believer, knows that God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces him guilty. We know that. We're guilty. Even when we do not feel that guilt. That's verse 19 and 20 right there. Scripture says we're guilty. And Satan, the things that he whispers, I'm sure we've done those things. That's verse 19 and 20. But here's the good news. And God's word in Jesus Christ pronounces the believer, him or her, not guilty and righteous. Even when he or she does not feel that he or she is righteous at all. That's awesome news. And that's what we need to remind Satan of. We've been freed from the penalty and the guilt of our sin. That's verse 21. That's what it's saying. So, we're forgiven. If we know Jesus Christ, we're forgiven. We're free. And we're given the potential of kingdom impact today, here, and now. And it's in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I can hear this old man, John, sitting there when he's writing. He's a coach. And he says this, shed the weight of guilt. Throw it off. Shed the stuff that hangs on and get after being the hands and feet of Jesus today to a world that is in desperate need of him. Here's the third thing. Put kingdom priorities on the top shelf. You know what the top shelf is? It's, it's where the most important stuff goes in your house or in the store they put the best items on the top shelf. It's the things that you value most. So John chapter 3 verse 23 it says this, this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commands us. So John the writer is reminding the reader then and now of the wonder and of the reality of Jesus. John, who saw Jesus in action, John who tasted the goodness and the wonder of Jesus personally, he is saying 60 years later, Jesus is alive and well. And he is saying to us today in 2020, Jesus is alive and well. And is that tasting and seeing of his goodness is just as possible today as it was back then. You know, I love talking to people who have just met Christ. What they've experienced, they've experienced forgiveness maybe for the first time. Freedom for the first time. They've experienced and they're looking at a future and a hope and their hope is high because they've met Jesus and they've been forgiven. I love spending time with the new believers as they have tasted Jesus and his goodness and it's amazing. Wow, what a refreshing thing to do. So John is saying first and foremost to the believers, get this right, believe in Jesus Believe in his death, in his resurrection, and the fact that he's at the right hand of the Father right now for you, and you can have a relationship with him today and you can be free. That's the first thing he's saying. The second thing he's saying, what's on the top shelf? Love one another. Why? I'll tell you why. There's so much at stake. There's three things. First, 
The same writer, John, he is writing in the Gospel of John. In 1335, John says this about Jesus. Jesus speaking by this, all men will know that you are my disciples. What? If you have love for one another. So how's the world going to know? Love for one another among believers. The second thing is this. You and I are Jesus' hands and his feet, his presence in a world that is in great need of him. The baton of that has been handed for generations and it's in our hands today to run it, to hand it off to the next generation. We are Jesus' hands and feet. We are the touch that people need right now from Jesus, you and I. And we can press into that or we can shrink back. And that coach, John, is saying, don't shrink back. Don't miss it like I did at Subway when I hesitated to buy them lunch. The third thing is this. We, believers, have the opportunity of showing the world the work of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit. Remember I said apple trees produce apples? Christians produce spiritual fruit. And here's what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. That's what the world needs right now. It needs you and I to be fruit-bearing believers in a world that's desperate for him. So I can hear this old man, John, our coach. He is saying, follow Jesus and love people around you. Don't be lazy. Get after it and go for it. The fourth thing I want to mention is this. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 1 John 3, verse 23, it says this, We know by this that He abides in us by the Spirit whom He has given to us. So the ability to do the things that John is calling us to do, you know what? These are impossible to do in our own strength. John wrote about this in the other in his writing in the Gospel of John in chapter 15. But here's the question, do you believe that? Do you believe that you are incapable of doing these things without the Spirit? I think we all try. But until we understand that it's through the Spirit of God empowering us to do the things that we've been called to do, that's when real fruit takes place. Just like in my backyard. If I had a branch on the ground and I willed it, to produce apples, it, it, couldn't, it would never happen. But I'll tell you what, I have a lot of branches in my backyard right now with apples on them because it was simply that branch was abiding in the trunk, in the tree, and it was doing what it was created to do. So I did nothing. I can't make that happen, but God can. So in John 15, He's talking about fruit. He's talking about abiding. He's talking about the Spirit. And this is what he says. Jesus, I am the vine, and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Did you catch that? Apart from me, you can do nothing in terms of spiritual fruit, in terms of kingdom impact, in terms of being dangerous in the realm of darkness. If you do not abide in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. 
Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, spiritual fruit, showing yourselves to be disciples, just like my backyard. The apple tree shows that it's an apple tree by producing apples. Christians show that we are truly aligned to him simply by producing spiritual fruit that we can't produce, but the Spirit of God does it in and through us, and it's fantastic. So we live in interesting times, no doubt. But I believe that this is the best time to be alive. And there is no greater moment for the gospel than right now. What's the answer for all that's going on? Jesus. It's his offer of salvation. And it's his commission to us to live dangerous lives. Dangerous to the kingdom of darkness. Because we shine as lights, exposing the darkness and doing damage to his, Satan's domain. As spirit-filled people on mission, we bring hope, we bring help, we bring healing in the person of Jesus Christ to those around us. Where we bear spiritual fruit, and as John, the coach, that old man said at the end of John 15, it's fruit that would remain. Spiritual fruit that would make a difference in everyday real life of, of, the, of men and women that are around us right here and right now. So what can we learn from Al, that old man from Indiana? I learned three things about fishing that I will never forget. What can we learn from Chip, that coach, Chip Kelly? We learned to win the day, and all of us can say that. So what can we learn from John, this old man that wrote 1 John 60 years after Jesus left this earth? Here's what he's coaching us to do today. His one-liners, and I think if we put these into practice, our lives will impact the kingdom and we will impact the lives around us for the gospel. And so let me just remind you of them. First, apple trees produce apples. And as a child of God, you and I are called to produce spiritual fruit today. Kingdom impacting spiritual fruit. Second, Satan is out to mess you up with guilt, with regret. But here's what to do. Remind him of his past or his future and remind yourself of your future. Live in freedom and live dangerous lives dangerous kingdom lies here and now. The third thing, put kingdom priorities on the top shelf. Know Jesus and love one another. And the last, in order to do all this, don't try on your own. Be filled with God's spirit who can empower you to do all that he has called us to do. I want to finish today. Have us do something together. And I know we're not physically together, but we're together. And I want you to do something out loud. It may be weird. You can do it if you're sitting with a group or by yourself. But I want you to repeat after me these statements. And I'm going to do it a couple times. So I'm going to go first. And then you do it out loud. And I want to hear you. The first one. I am a daughter or son of the king. So say that back with me. I am a daughter 
of the king. And I have been invited to be on mission for him today. To risk today based on his reputation and his ability. Meeting needs that are around me. And he has given me supernatural power to accomplish all that he is asking me to do. I'm going to do that one more time. Repeat after me. I am a daughter of the king. And I have been invited to be on mission for him today. To risk today based on his reputation and his ability. Meeting needs around me. And he has given me supernatural power to accomplish all that he is asking me to do today. I'm going to stop and pray. And I'm so grateful that we've been together. Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you that you put coaches in our lives to help us dream about what you want us to be and to help us put the work in and to go after it and to be filled with your spirit. Lord, help us to produce spiritual fruit that has kingdom impact. Lord, help us to flee when Satan reminds us of the things that we've probably done, but help us to live in freedom and in power. Lord, help us to keep the most important things on the top shelf, relationship with you and loving those around us. And Lord, all of this is impossible unless you empower us. And I pray, Lord, that we would be filled with your spirit individually and that corporately as a church, we would have impact in this community because you are going before us and you've called us to be on mission today and for a lifetime. Lord, thank you for grace. Thank you for the people that make up this body. I'm so grateful for them. In your name, amen.